Well, Dom may have used me, betrayed me, fucked up my face, but we're here to talk gibberish, aren't we, Dom? I deny everything. What did I do? <laughs> uh, that is a, a quote from the relatively new game, Hunt for the Freeman, which is a fan-based project based on the Half-Life series that came out recently, and uh, it did not go well. Um, obviously, when you have a game as storied as Half-Life, everyone's kind of really nervous to take on the project. Even Valve don't want to touch the next Half-Life. And yet a group of fans were like, hey, we got this. Turns out, no, they did not have this. And uh, there are possibilities of lawsuits in there. So, hmm. <laughs> I just, I found uh, that quote in among stuff from a YouTuber I'm a big fan of called The Right Opinion. He did a, like, hour-long breakdown on, like, the uh, GoFundMe promises, the voice acting talent that was mostly drawn from YouTube. Not so much because the YouTubers themselves were fans of the game or because they had particular voice acting skills, because you can find some incredibly talented voice actors on YouTube these days. But um, yeah. these were just people. These were uh, YouTube celebrities that could maybe push the game for the developers. And funnily enough, they're all involved in the marketing campaign. So, hmm. But yeah, I'd advise uh, if anyone wants to see a really good shit show that's good, clean, wholesome fun, uh, Hunt for the Freeman. Give it a look. Try to find some uh, YouTube videos talking about the game because they tried. They can you can tell that they kind of tried, but the voice acting is all over the place. Yeah, it was like the uh, the Rooster Teeth produced uh, Transformers show that was on Netflix. The voice acting on that was it ranged from good to absolutely trash. <laughs> the person that they I know Optimus wasn't in it much, but the person that they got to voice Optimus Prime clearly wasn't the original. <laughs> and whoever they got to voice Megatron was okay but it still it wasn't frank welker it just was pretty bad and then you had the the pretty hard hard to watch videos of frank welker and peter cullen aye peter cullen uh talking about how rooster Teeth basically basically screwed them out of a job a job that's been theirs for fucking decades yeah because they wanted to go a bit cheaper so yeah actually follow speaking of like uh megatron like his original uh, voice actor for the the movies was Orson Welles, right? Uh, no, Orson Welles was a character called Unicron. Oh yeah, Unicron, the, the big bad guy of the nineteen. I don't know. Why I'm giving a date. It's the only Transformers movie. <laughs> the uh, only there has been nothing since. No yeah. nonsense chicanery or uh, real life imitations of Transformers exist. There is only the nineteen eighties movie. Yeah, there's only the nineteen eighties animated movie and Bumblebee that's it <laughs> all the shit M Michael Bay's fever dreams don't exist but I uh, I just recently learned this listening to the fantastic Talk With It Rhythm podcast that Orson Welles was originally lined up to play the villain in Goldfinger James Bond like holy shit I'd watch the that'd hell out of that cool. yeah that'd be pretty cool but Orson Welles got Orson Welles so he cost too much money and probably wasn't worth the effort to deal with so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never happened, but you could have had Sean Connery and Austin Wells for the like the most iconic spy movie of all time, arguably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we got what we got, and we still got a great movie out of it. Um, but yeah, that was just my little weird film trivia of the week. It's probably not the only I, piece. <laughs> I don't think I've seen all of Goldfinger. I have seen, I think I've seen all of the old Bonds, like up to Pierce Brosnan. I I've seen 
the first two Daniel Craig ones, because that first one did really did bring Bond back, um, and then just never got around to seeing uh, what's the last two. Um, it's Casino Royale and no, I've seen Quantum Casino Royale. Solace. Those are the two I've seen. There's been another one since then. What what's his Spectre? And yeah. Then there's the one that's coming. Because that was the one. The Spectre was the one where they brought back Blofeld, but he was played by fuck Doctor King Schultz, Javier Bardem, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz. Yeah, yeah, but I, I just, I, I just somehow dropped off the end. And these are apparently good Bond films, so I just haven't got around to seeing them yet. But we had the the cassettes at home. We just had the tapes. And it was just one long line of Bond films because you know thickness of cassettes, just yeah. all the way across a, a top shelf. But that was like a regular thing. Just we spent like an entire summer one year just watching Bond films, and they're fucking. Some of them are really weird and dated, and a lot of it won't work. Um, typically yeah. anything involving anyone from Africa or South America will not work. Uh, but most of it's pretty good. And then there was the Moonraker, where they uh, they made a James Bond movie that was trying to rival Star Wars because I think it came out around about the same time as Empire <laughs> or Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi, and. Th- the director knew he was going to have to do something of that same ilk yeah. to try and compete with Star Wars, and it was James Bond with a jetpack in space, firing weird <laughs> laser guns. That I'm pretty sure you could even hear the guy shouting pew pew. <laughs> I I try to remember what the one is that they had a a fight with scuba gear on. That was pretty cool. There's one where there's a there's like two teams of like five special operations guys all murdering each other in scuba gear. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> they're like stabbing each other and cutting each other's oxygen lines, trying to like get to like an objective and bonds it like one of the only ones that makes it through. You're like, yeah. What absolutely is this? I want to say that that's one of the that's the film starts with them getting to a beach, but that doesn't narrow it down at all. Yeah. There's a lot of those films that start in you know, sunny locales, beaches, very Mediterranean-looking places, and they go to London for a little bit, maybe, and then they just go straight back to the warm climates. Well, that was part of the uh, the appeal of the Bond films back in the day was the fact that it was made in the 1960s and 70s and 80s. And if you talk yep. to your parents from that time, they just didn't travel the way we did. Like, you just didn't go to Spain. And seeing Bond go to Spain was a great way of exposing the UK uh, audience to say hey, check out this weird place that you're probably not going to go to, but if you do, there's a guy down the street who'll sell you a plane ticket for probably about 100 quid. Might as well have a look, see what Bond gets up to on his time off, you know? There was always that kind of uh, added angle to it. And I think they actually probably used part of that in the production of the film to say, hey, we're we're a Bond film, we're going to be seen by every British person uh, who truly loves the Queen. You should probably let us film in your country for a bit. And then somebody go, yeah, sounds good. Hey, you know these world famous Bond films? We're going to shoot one here if that's cool. <laughs> Do you mind? Is it too much of a hassle? <laughs> no, no, please. On you, on you go. Film whatever crazy nonsense you want. Yeah, just you guys, wire. But uh, I, I feel like we've uh, we've danced around what I earlier called the the elephant in the room, uh, which is that we're recording this on uh, January the twenty third of twenty twenty one, which means we are three days into the Biden presidency. Which means that there was no uh, surprise QAnon reveal that Trump had been QAnon all along and that he was going to somehow arrest uh, Biden for the, the, the fraudulent election that was held back in November 2020. So, uh, as you can tell, we're all a little heartbroken, all a little uh, 
<laughs> I, ca- I can't do it anymore. I just, oh, I can't I do that joke. I wondering how long it would take, man. <laughs> oh, he's ding-dong, that dumb fucking cunt is gone. <laughs> yeah. There's people that I know that, that, uh, that are American living over here that were day drinking, because obviously the election was called quite late at night, quite early in the morning, or quite late at night here, but quite early in the morning over in America. And they were just, you know, as soon as they could drink the following day, they were just down in drink. <laughs> they were just so happy that that guy was out of their hometown. There was like a solid three-day period where I genuinely couldn't tell how the election was going to go. Yeah. Like they, they had it almost locked down, almost locked down at Biden, but it got to that kind of mathematically Trump could still do it type of area. And then as the pressure started to mount, you could see Biden just kind of being quietly confident and Trump just starting to say, we're going to sue everyone, we're going to sue them again. And then we're going to sue him a third time for something we're going to find in the first two lawsuits. And you're like, oh, wow, you you really don't have anything, do you? You're completely fucked. And uh, it's been building over the last couple of months. And then on January the 6th, as uh, Vice President Mike Pence was going to count the Electoral College votes, uh, some horde of inbred idiots decided to charge into the Capitol building and uh, try and put a halt to proceedings and possibly lynch Mike Pence. Yeah, that was again. I don't know what the what the end game of that was. It, it was kind of like there's there's a comedian that I've been following for years, a guy named Ross Noble, mm. and he did a gig at a, a vegan sort of music jazz festival. And uh, so you said the, so many of the words I hate at the same time. <laughs> what, Ross Noble. No, 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 vegan jazz festival. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Yeah, so his his thing was a, uh, it was all vegetarian and vegan uh, food stand. So he kept going up to him, going, oh, uh, "Can I get a sausage roll?" And he goes, "Sorry, mate, vegetarian and vegan." So he does his gig and he's talking to the crowd afterward, and he says, "How funny would it be if we just, you know, get a queue? Every single person that's come to see my gig today, if we form a massive queue." I'll start it. I'll go up and say, do you have any sausage rolls? And they'll go, no, sorry, vegetarian and vegan. And then the next person goes up behind them and says, you got any sausage rolls? No, sorry, vegetarian and vegan. He goes, right, let, let's go and do that. He finishes the gig. Thanks, everybody. And he says, right, I'm going to gonna go and get some food. And his plan was originally going to be everyone marching with him in a kind of orderly fashion to queue behind him and uh, order sausage rolls. But what happened was he just get he was getting pushed by a crowd of about three to 400 people just all chanting, Sausage rolls, sausage rolls, all being led by Ross Noble. <laughs> so he, he gets to the uh, the food van, and instead of saying, you know, do you have any sausage rolls? Oh, no, sorry, vegetarian, vegan, I'll come back. And then everyone just starts stamping their feet and chanting, sausage rolls, sausage rolls. <laughs> and they are pushing the vegetarian and vegan stand over. And the guy's just going, I don't know what you want. <laughs> I don't know what you want. <laughs> I can imagine that's what it was like. They had a plan, but then they just went, <laughs> then the... The, the switch, the sensible switch just went off for the night. He packed up his gear and went home for his sandwiches. Then they just went, fuck it, let's just go and invade this place. What are we going to do? I don't know, break stuff, steal stuff. I, I think that is part of what I've learned from all of what's been going on. And this is something we've, we've known for a while. And this is why I don't really attend political rallies or don't do anything that's too... It's got too much potential for mob violence because there is an unstoppable amount of energy in a room when a group of people decide they are just fucking done and you can't control that you can't contain it you not like the best public speaker in the world can't stop a horde of angry people doing what they want it really does take violence to counteract that level of violence 
there's a point where you can walk away and everyone can just agree to disagree and stuff like that but America in general went long past that a long time ago yeah and it was I'd, I'd like to have been there at the kind of briefing meeting when uh, all the guys were talking about it, right? what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Capitol building we're going to protest what I need everybody to do is cover their faces and by all means wear subtle clothing don't go <laughs> Identify you. Oh shit. Hard pan to bison guy. <laughs> Hard pan to bison guy. You're wearing that? Oh shit. Uh, there, there were a few uh, notable people. Um, there were, uh, we should just say, there were like five deaths related to this incident. Um, yeah. One of which was a police officer. Uh, one apparently was a guy who tried to tase uh, someone and accidentally hit himself in the leg had a heart attack and died most of these uh most of these uh, deaths are referred to as a medical incident which could be yeah. just like a complication the stress the the rioting the fighting all that um if there's any weak hearts in the room they will give out under stress and if you've got a few thousand people there statistically speaking several of them are going to have weak hearts and then there is the case of the young woman who uh tried to break through a window and got shot by capital police and I've watched that footage. It's not fucking pleasant. But that was... Yeah, I, I honestly have no, like, no reservations of what that cop did. He did what he had yeah. to do to get home that day. And that's yeah. not something I say lightly. Yeah, he wanted to get home safely. He did his job. And an interesting uh, kind of sub-story to this, but uh, that is what led to... I know people were on, tw- on Twitter were calling her the MAGA martyr and all this shit. She just wanted to go home. She was protesting peacefully, blah, blah, blah. And uh, that's what led to... You've probably seen uh, PogChamp got taken down. Yeah, I did yeah, see that the one. Guy, the original PogChamp was a guy called Gutex, who was a, huge in the fighting game scene. But he basically posted that video saying, if no one's going to post it, I will. Uh, let's make this poor lady sacrifice uh, hashtag MagaMart or not in vain. And that's basically what led PogChamp getting taken down because this guy was basically saying, I will show you the video... <laughs> Heat her warning. Pog chat, by the way, for those of you not in the, uh, the awareness, is just a general emote used on Twitch and other uh, like social media platforms, generally for the phrase poggers, like play the game, like, oh shit, hype moment. This guy was unfortunately standing in front of a green screen when he pulled a silly face uh, to react to a play the game moment, and that became the poggers face. He's now an internet celebrity who fucking hates himself. So, yeah. yeah. He was an internet celebrity. He posted uh, uh, the guy, I can't remember his full name, it's something Gutierrez, but Gutex was part of a, a fighting game channel called Cross Counter TV. And he was, you know, he basically brought the FGC, you know, back, back from the brink because the FGC disappeared all but before the release of Street Fighter 4 and him and a guy named Alex Ross. No, Mike Ross. Uh, Alex Ross is the artist that makes those spectacular uh, comic book drums. Uh, but. Him and Mike Ross basically made this fucking outstanding TV show. Uh, he, the, the two of them split because Mike Ross didn't really like the way the FGC was going. But I think uh, Gutex, I think about four months before he post, or eight months before he posted that uh, Magamarter post, was posting a video on uh, YouTube about how like everybody sucks. You all need to suck it up. You like I gave you the best years of my life, kind of shit. So he wasn't in the best place. Yeah. And then he t- then he took to YouTube to explain why PogChamp should be reinstated. And it wasn't any better. But yeah, this this whole mess at the Capitol building not only affected 
many, many people, including one uh, very young police officer who almost got his head cut off by uh, getting stuck between two doors and getting squeezed relentlessly. Uh, but it can affect some people online. But to be fair, if that kind of if someone who is that prominent online is going to post stuff like this saying let's support this woman or support this person's family for breaking the law, fuck them. Yeah, I. Pog champ as well. Pog champ's dumb. <laughs> it all has been a horrific four years of a president who didn't give a fuck about half the people in his country, and I think that might be one of the best ways I've heard Luke uh, ever heard uh, phrase. That's from uh, Dan Carlin, who I really want to like. I I've been looking at the chaos in America for the last couple of weeks, and seeing it reflective of the chaos of the last couple of years. And trying to find somebody who can help rationalise it all has led me down weird and interesting paths. And I think when I look at who's probably helped me the most for the last couple of weeks to figure out what the hell has gone on, Dan Carlin, uh, who is a historian uh, who does the Hardcore History series, he also does a show called uh, Common Sense. I'd recommend it. It's just little uh, hour-long uh, talks that he gives. He doesn't do them as much anymore. And that's because he's struggled to deal with this as well. But he has turned himself towards history. He's looked at various uh, historical figures throughout the last couple of decades and seen all the comparisons he needs to kind of rationalise and contextualise what's gone on in America for the last couple of years. And even then, he's still at a loss for words. But yeah, highly recommend uh, Hardcore History and Common Sense because uh, Dan Carlin is a, is a great storyteller and a great thinker. And when you give him 90 minutes of your time, you walk away thinking for the rest of the week. Just about what he said and what it means to you. Which, yeah, which is what you really need right now. And anybody that can make sense of this, the last four years worth of chaos, is somebody that you should probably listen to. Speaking of chaos, did you hear about the woman that was trying to impeach Biden? <laughs> My favourite thing was, she's been trying for like three days to get the paperwork sorted. And was like, this is more complicated than it seems. <laughs> like, yes, that's why we went through it, but we're still going through it twice for fucking Trump, <laughs> moron. I, I still think that the first hurdle that she has to overcome is, you know, there has to be an offence committed. I don't know US law and I don't claim to, but surely there has to be an impeachable offence. You can't just go, oh, Biden smells, get rid of them. <laughs> the problem with impeachment is that it is not a legal process. It is a political one. It yeah. is a political statement that you think the president has done something that warrants his removal from office by the majority approval of Congress and Senate of the United States. And getting people to believe you in that is almost impossible. That's why it was basically never tried i think there's been two impeachments uh that i know of before trump i think there's maybe a third one out there that i can't remember but the first one was like way back in like the 1800s somebody fucked up royally then there was bill clinton for getting a blowjob in the oval office or there was another thing but also they were really mad about the blowjob um but it is you saying i think this president fucked up so badly he should be removed do you agree with me house of the senate house of the congress and there is a, there is, there is a trial that's based on US uh, court proceedings, but it's not a legal process. I mean, it probably helps if there's some kind of uh, offence that's been committed that boosts it along. But yeah, I agree with you. It's mostly a political process, but I think Biden has to have at least done something <laughs> to <Yeah>. warrant <laughs> him being kicked out of office. And at least, I mean, basically reinstituting uh, 
trans rights for people. I mean, it's pissed off some of the a new word that I learned this this month. Turfs. It's pissed off. Oh, you've just people. learned turf. Oh, nice. Yeah, just learned turf. Yeah. It's I mean, gonna fuck up a lot of your perspective. Last year, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of behind on my internet lexicon, but uh, yeah, I mean, she probably get support from the turfs, but I think even those people realise that in the long run, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's uh, I, I it's just one of the things of they're they were the liberals who fell in behind the current curve of progressivism, and we're about to get there. You and I in our in our elder statesman years of almost being thirty, we're yeah. about to fall off that curve in the next couple of years. But these are the people who are way further gone down the rabbit hole to the point where not only have they fallen off, they're proud that they've fallen off. <laughs> That's what I find about stuff like that. But the the tariff movement is interesting to look at in current context but yeah by a disgraced children's author jk rowling <laughs> I, I i'm I'm so proud of her for trying to explain a horrifically complicated uh emotionally based personal standpoint on another person's emotionally based personal standpoint through 140 character tweets she's trying her best <laughs> But she's just short of the mark by a little teeny weeny bit. <laughs> and therefore is just completely hashtag cancelled. It's fascinating. But uh, I'm trying to see if there's anything else that I noted um, about the whole American civil unrest thing. But yeah, Dan Carlin being my historical uh, guru at this point is pretty well uh, established. But um, oh yeah, that was the one thing that kept coming up was whether or not America was going to drift towards a civil war. And... I'm starting to... I had some, some conversations with people um, during the time afterwards, like some American friends that I had who were rightfully scared of what was going on. And I I was talking to them and saying, look, it, you genuinely cannot get to the point of a civil war right now. And if you do, it's not going to be the Napoleonic-style civil war that you had the first time around. If anything else, it's going to be like a weird high-level gang war, if that makes sense. Like, it might be more akin to the uh, the civil insurgency that you had in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan during the occupation there. That's as bad as it's going to get. I mean, Dan Carlin pointed to a, a Nixon quote that apparently there were 40,000 bombing-related events in the United States during the 70s, most of which, uh, or actually at one point, uh, there was about 2,500 bombings in American soil over the course of 18 months. He says that's as bad as it's going to get. Partial bombs, terror threats, that type of thing. But you won't have this old-style, like, marching, invasions and conquest from states to states because it's too... We're, you're too intermingled compared to what happened yeah. in the past. And I think that now that Trump is probably not going to be coming back to America anytime soon, uh, <laughs> He's out They've the lost their safety net. There's no one to pardon them if they yeah. fucking start killing people randomly. There's no one to let them off scot-free. I saw he moved They're to Florida. Gonna... Where has he moved somewhere else now? I think he's in uh, Mar-a-Lago, wherever the hell that is. That's a golfing residency in Florida. Well, It's I... a country club in Florida, basically. Uh, well, maybe he's holed up there. I don't know. Uh, last I heard that he'd left the country, I assumed that Mar-a-Lago was somewhere that's not America. Uh, but they've, they've lost their safety net. There's no one to pardon them if they, you know, start killing up innocent people. And also, you're counting on people that have no military training and just a shit ton of guns. I wouldn't count on them having the skill necessary to kill a lot of people. 
Nor the intelligence. Also, uh, points go to my friend Jenna for the best name for these guys. Um, for the, the general kind of capital insurgency. Because, by the way, this was insurgency. I've seen people try to defend what happened as not being uh, insurgent behaviour. It was. Uh, you basically tried to bum rush the United States Capitol building. No. <laughs> That's, you, you can't not call that violent political behaviour. Um, but she uh, said she t- found the term on Reddit for them called the Gravy Seals. And just slow clap to Reddit for that one. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was- but yeah, uh, my thoughts and well wishes go out to those who've been affected by the American mini civil unrest you guys had. Um, it seems a lot nicer now. I'm not going to lie, when uh, there was officially the announcement that Biden was the president-elect, it felt like the internet took a big sigh of relief and everything was great. So now that we actually have him in office and he's, you know, seems to be steadying the, the boat quite a bit, it's kind of nice. Um, I feel like things have taken a bit of a step down. Yeah, Don't things, know have how down. There, but... things have calmed down quite substantially. I like that within the first two or three weeks of Trump's presidency, there was, you know, a alleged collusion with Russia, alleged, uh, you know, misdeeds, you know, all these things were surrounding Trump's presidency, and this all came out within the first three weeks. The first thing to come out, come out about uh, Biden's presidency was that he moved one of those Peloton cycle, uh, stationary cycles, into the Oval Office. <laughs> into the Oval Office. Nice. I like it. <laughs> Everyone just breathed a sigh of relief, and their, you know, ours was just unpuckered, just like, holy shit, he's boring. <laughs> That's... That's what I'm kind of looking forward to, is politics is boring again. I mean, when you see, I mean, I don't want to say literal fanfare, but the absolute orgasm that late night shows in the US had over the last week. Um, There was literal musical numbers. James Corden covered something from Le Mis. Um, I saw Stephen Colbert's show uh, do a cover of New York, New York for, like, just saying goodbye to Trump on his last day of the presidency, like... If they'd actually shown them jerking off and nutting, I would have been like, "Yeah, that seems about right." Like this is that's the level of stress relief this week has been on the internet in general. It's been odd. I've actually been uh, watching some of uh, Stephen Colbert's uh, coverage, if you can call it that, of this whole incident. Uh, his his video, I think it was a twelve to fifteen minute video, him just going off. It was fucking hard to watch, but I think that was probably where I. <laughs> where I kind of sat up and paid attention, because he was... I've always seen Stephen Colbert, you know, crack jokes. He's always talking about New Zealand and uh, how much he loves sort of nerd, cu- nerd culture, sort of Dungeons and Dragons, that kind of thing. But to see him just stop cracking jokes and just be fucking serious for that long, mm. I paid attention. Yeah, and I think, actually, he is quite well known for being a detached person. I mean, his old Colbert character that he had for his show back in Comedy Central was a joke about Republicans to Republicans for everyone in the room by being just detached and very on the the party line but a little bit silly that like is what we're used to seeing with him so when suddenly it's guys i'm not doing this for the the opening monologue of the show i need to talk to you as me and it's like oh it does kind of grab you by the balls a little bit it's quite interesting but yeah i've, I've not seen much of his coverage um weirdly enough my mum is telling me stuff about like the the cordon Lame is thing, like that's how I found out about that. She's like, she like really loves his show, apparently. Didn't know this at all. Um, but no, she got into uh, Corden stuff because she liked what he's done over here in the UK. So it was like watching that, I'm like, it's a bit much. Like his thing was a bit much for some reason. 
but uh, like a, a kind of quick Mad Libs cover of New York, New York for Donald Trump was pretty good. Very, very measured. Because I did see a bit of a uh, James Corden's thing when he was singing, uh, singing the song from Lima's. There's one more I don't day. Know what it is. The, minute I, the minute I hear if someone doing a cover of a song from a musical, I just tune out. Just the minute you say musical, I fall asleep. <laughs> I just nope, can't do it. I have I, I have no interest in musicals, but I've found uh, I I end up watching the the movie adaptation of Rent, which is about a guy dying of AIDS in the eighties. You're like, what the fuck am I watching this for? <laughs> and uh, that a cheesy film to watch. What was the other one? Uh, I've seen a couple of songs from the Legally Blonde musical because they've got a weird comedic value to them because they're just it has the thing about musicals. It's just silly, so you can kind of enjoy it in that regard, but. Other than that, you're like, this is not the genre for me at all. Not even kind of. It's weird. It's, it's, it's again, it, it all sounds so kind of, you know, edgy. I'm like, I don't like musicals. Musicals are just lame. It's, I don't like them. Yeah, there's a... I think, it's, I think it's something to do with whenever I hear someone hitting that high note, I immediately cringe. I'm like, oh, stop it, you'll hurt yourself. <laughs> for me, it's the fact that everyone sings their feelings. I think that's something explained musical theatre that way, is it? Oh, you can uh, like that's what I like about acting is that someone on the TV or someone in the movie, someone on whatever, even just on stage acting and stuff like that, someone has to convince you that they are this character feeling that thing, and you can interpret what they're doing with their body language to show what's going on in their head. Musical theater is just we have to dance and give a big whole musical production, so we have to sing our feelings, and that just seems kind of stupid to me. I don't know what it is that always just kind of stuck out as being a an issue for me with musical theatre. You just use language. Yeah. You just speak. Use your big boy words. Here's a or, pen, write your feelings, man. <laughs> use your, or, or, use your big boy moody face. That works. Yeah. Do that. And if you can't get it, just fix it and post with CGI. Fuck it. <laughs> oh. I think I know what you're referring to, but I don't want to dignify it by giving it more discussion. <laughs> well, what do you think I was dignifying? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll, I'll clap it if you want. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, gonna, no, there's a mystery involved. Fuck. <laughs> I thought you were talking about a certain feeling-based musical that came to movies. Came to the uh, got a came to the movies. It was a adapted into a film. <laughs> certain feeling-based. Oh, um, no, I haven't got nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, that was just. I think it was from last year. Start of last year. That was oh, like a Pixar film? No, it was a it was a very famous musical, Cats. Oh, right, right. Brutalized. No, it was no, CG. I, there's no time of day I would give that. I just <laughs> the fact that it looked one way in the first trailer, a second way in the second trailer, released a third way, and then was remastered while still in the cinema to come out a fourth way. I'm like, you guys had nothing on this. You had no idea what you were doing. Yeah, they released a patch. For <laughs> they a patched movie. the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. But yeah, just leave musicals on the stage. Don't make films out of them unless you just record the, the stage show. Actually, it doesn't end well. When it comes to stuff like that, what about stuff like The Lion King? Not the 2019 John Favreau version, but the original. That is the animated show one that we watched as kids. Yeah. That, that's basically a musical. It's got a bit more drama and more of an action scene because it can. I don't yeah, think you can convince a herd of wildebeest to you know, run across a Broadway stage. But 
in theory, I'd say that's basically a musical. How much music has to be in a musical? You just reminded me of a very, very dark theory video that I watched on YouTube because <laughs> I was bored. But right. yeah, all, all early Disney films are kind of musicals. Yeah. I think in fact, it was, all Disney uh... films are musicals, pretty much. But I was talking about musicals, you know, the big budget stage Broadway product of musicals. That's the kind of thing I can't be arsed with. No, the 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 dark theory video that I that I watched or came across on YouTube was why was Mufasa's body never found? Because <laughs> the wildebeest wouldn't have you know stopped to pick him up or anything. They would have just trampled him, and he would have just went further and further back into the the crowd of wildebeest. Uh-huh. And then because Simba runs away, Simba doesn't stay there to try and find Mufasa's body. He, he doesn't stay there to uh-huh. you know make sure the body gets there safe. So there's a scene later on where Scar is sitting there with a lion skull just kind of puppeting it and then some guy does like research and so like what eats lions and there's like a couple other things then other lions some guy's theory is that scar eats the dead body of mufasa and then starts you know doing a macabre puppet show with his skull oh my my first point against that is they didn't show mufasa's body because just imagine the fucking state of it and imagine showing that in the kids movie and the second one is that because of the state of it, I don't think his skull would have survived to be a hole. So just to poke a hole in why they didn't show it, and to poke a hole in that guy's theory in specific points, if he'd been tra- like, trampled by a herd of wildebeest, he wouldn't have a whole skull left to play with. Sure. <laughs> Those things do not fuck around. It, it, is a, it is a theory about a film that came out, Lion King came out in the very early 90s. I remember going to see it in the cinemas. The first film I can remember going to see it in the cinema. Was the Lion King, yeah, an old ABC cinema in Stirling that smelled like an odd combination of salt and vinegar and uh, cleaning fluid. <laughs> uh, it just smelled very sterile, but there was a strong smell of chips. <laughs> uh, it was it was very sterile, but I got the odd suspicion that it wasn't. <laughs> someone just it was clean, but someone was eating their dinner. <laughs> I just got a smell of it. Uh, well, actually, the the Lion King is like our childhood, our generation's childhood memory, uh, and it would be that, and I'd say Aladdin, maybe the most. But, yeah, um, it's the only I'm, I'm it's the only film, only Disney film that I will happily admit is my favorite film, yeah. uh, Aladdin. It's just I watch that film over and over again, yeah. and it's because of Rob Williams' genie. He makes that movie. But uh, I I don't know if uh, not Will Smith that <laughs> blue CGI fuck. Uh, like I, I think I've mentioned movie. this on the podcast before. I think I talked about it during uh, when the first part of these videos came out. But there's a guy on YouTube, a guy on YouTube called uh, YourMovieSucks.org. And he has been making uh, movie reviews for the last like decade or so, and he is he's preparing a nuclear bomb to throw at the Lion King twenty nineteen because he's such a massive fan of the original Lion King, and yeah. uh, he has he's like our age. He has spent so long on it, he had to make a separate three hour vi- or two and a half hour video about Kimba the White Lion which is a manga and animated series from Japan in the, like, late 70s, I think the manga was started, and then the TV show came out in the 80s under the name Jungle Emperor Leo. And, um, like, the, this comic book is so influential, it started manga. Like, it started that type of manga uh, in Japan and became, like, the he's, the guy who wrote it is considered the father of uh, manga and anime. And he basically found a lot of arguments that the Lion King ripped off Jungle Emperor Leo and then decided to dismantle it for two and a half hours. (laughs) 
It is one of the most brutal YouTube videos that I've ever watched. I've seen a lot of criticism videos and a lot of video essays taking down stuff. I have never seen a video like full-length Lord of the Rings style takedown on such a specific niche issue. And all this yeah. is a prelude to what he's building to with his Lion King 2019 review. And I've seen the, the stuff he's talking about uh, in part, like there's a, he does most of his editing live on Twitch um, as a way of like dragging in a bit of extra money, which it works. Um, but it also like helps him interact with fans and stuff. And yeah. it keeps him focused on editing. Because like editing something like that must be, it looks like a fucking nightmare. And he has been going through uh, doing odd bits and pieces on air and like listening to his complaints some of them are so tiny but at the same time like I can see where he's coming from and if this was his favourite movie of all time it changed who he was as a person and he watches it religiously now to this day I can see why he goes to such lengths to take down the inferior version of uh, the, the John Favreau uh, version from 2019 it's insane but I mean he says so far he, <laughs> he started promising this uh way back in like June 2020 I was like guys the video is coming I'll have it done by August October maybe after New Year <laughs> maybe I, I can maybe rush it and get it out for Christmas uh, of like 2020 and it's it's eventually and this is like some point in September he just says it's honestly probably not going to come out this year and now it's like it comes out it's done and it's done that's the level he's at at this point like he just wants to have all of this lined up because now he says it's taken so long for this uh, thing that he's made to come out. John Favreau went from making the shit show that is The Lion King to saving Star Wars with The Mandalorian. So now he says, I'm not only going to have to fight against John Favreau who made The Lion King, I have to fight up against Reddit's new uh, deity in The Saviour of Star Wars. Like I'm, He says, I'm going to release this and I'm going to get fucked by it. <laughs> so this is gonna Although, if this goes anywhere near reddit the like to dislike ratio will go down immediately and I will be able to tell and I'll know it's come from the reddit I'm actually quite glad that you brought up uh, John Favreau because uh, he and Dave Filoni uh, you saved Star Wars as you quite rightly said but he is under a lot of pressure and I mean a lot of fucking pressure right now to drop the I don't know if you want to bleep this out but the in fact, no, I'll, I'll keep it spoiler-free. The, the storyline that we spoke about last episode, how that ends, season two of Mandalorian ends, he's basically being pressured by Lucasfilm and Disney to drop that storyline completely because one of the executives at Lucasfilm, a woman named Kathleen Kennedy, is trying to do a whole different way, trying to do a whole different story in Star Wars. I think it's called The High Republic. And people are now focused on the Mandalorian too much, and what Dave Filoni is going to do because he's basically creating a brand new timeline. Kathleen Kennedy is the one behind the new Star Wars trilogy, isn't she? She's yeah, the she, she's the executive producer for like she's the final say on what goes ahead in that series. She uh, she was behind episode seven, eight, and nine. Uh, she she now has the new say so on everything Star Wars related. Oh yeah, I I don't know how they're going to continue on with. A, the fan favorite view of the universe, which is now the Mandalorian, and then yep. the most reviled version of the fan universe, which is the new movies. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think I, I don't mind Rogue One. I thought it was okay. Uh, oh, Rogue so, One was fantastic. Solo Star. Yeah. Mm, I have my one grievance with it, which ruined the entire fucking movie for me, which is that it didn't show the spaceport blowing up. Um, but the I don't think many people were that fussed about Solo because it was 
it's like the history of the universe, so it just doesn't really fuck with too much. Um, yeah, I, I liked Solo. I thought it was. I didn't go in expecting much, and I came out. I, I came out of the watching it uh, pleasantly surprised. I thought this was a pretty decent film. Uh, Donald Glover is a damn good uh, Lando Carusian. The guy that they got to play uh, Han Solo was pretty good, and Amelia Clark wasn't playing Sarah Connor, so I was happy to watch her in a film. <laughs> and uh, what's his name? He plays Vision. Fuck's his name? <laughs> I just leave you with this one. Paul Bettany. Yeah, damn it. Paul Bettany plays a crime lord in it again. Really good. Like the ensemble, the ensemble cast was really good. It was just a good, a good film to watch. You, you knew what was going to happen. They had fun with it, in my opinion. I, but, personally, I think overall, like you've just given my biggest clues to what is wrong with the Star Wars fandom. Um, like, you went in expecting not too much. They go in expecting the greatest cinema and storytelling experience of all time. It never works yeah. out for them, does it? Like, like with all things, temper your reactions. Like, when you... A, a story that I'm going to get into later because it's just too beautiful not to share <laughs> uh, about Dungeons & Dragons. Just temper your expectations and <laughs> you'll, you'll be fine. Uh, but I, I don't think breaking away from episode 7, 8 and 9 with their reaction and even some of the actors reaction to it with uh, uh, Oscar Isaac saying that he will never go, uh, go back to Star Wars to John Boyega outright damning them saying you didn't know what the fuck to do with my character even Daisy Ridley who was the star of all three of those films will never do another one because it basically tanked her career Yeah, Mark Hamill who's the biggest Star Wars nerd on the planet hates Star Wars or those episodes of Star Wars because of what they did to Luke and yet you look at the Mandalorian side of things and they're like I'm listening to Bill Burr's podcast every Monday and he always gets a letter saying hey Billy Rednuts really liked you in the Mandalorian didn't know you could act good chops you know like he's getting those emails from his comedy fans that are coming into the Star Wars universe and people who are like lifelong Star Wars fans who happen to be fans of Bill Burr they're both looking at it and going oh, you nailed it where you go like congratulations on a good part in my favourite universe you know that's the reaction that the Mandalorian's getting. And I, I reckon there are people at Sony, who or at Sony, at Disney, who are pissed that the Mandalorian keeps working as well as it does. Yeah, I think Kathleen Kennedy's exact words were, in an interview she said that uh, this storyline, while it is good, it is bringing back an older fan to the story who want this male-centric view of Star Wars, whereas my view for the High Republic is... You know, more female-centered, young female Jedi's, young, uh, you know, POC Jedi's, <laughs> market marketable Jedi's. <laughs> yeah, like marketable, quote-unquote woke Jedi. But here's yeah, the thing: is boring as shit. Like you can't, you can have that, but you have to make the stories interesting. Yeah, I mean, you can have those two things at the same time. You just have to remember what you're doing is a silly space opera with light swords, and just lean yeah. into that enough and just say look we're going to do something big and grand and then just like have all the nonsense going on that makes star wars fans happy and occasionally a female character sorts half the fucking story out (laughs) she kills three people and goes these people are idiots walks away job done you can do it in a serious way without it being too serious because then it leans into what we were talking about before we recorded the podcast with the charlie's angels uh, problem where you've got three strong female characters that don't bounce off each other in any way shape or form they're just stuck together you have three strong female names on paper you don't have strong three strong female characters you know they're, they're, they're not actual characters they're just whatever you need them to be in the situation and you, when you think about right, when you boil it down to Star Wars is basically 
three types of people in a spaceship fighting the bad guys. And it's always, you know, the royal, the stuck-up royalty, the gunslinger, and the Big Lebowski-looking motherfucker that has space powers. Yeah. It's those three people <laughs> in a spaceship fighting the bad guys, which are usually space Nazis or Nazis in space. There's, there's not a lot you of... You need leave. to have a degree of humility when it comes to writing this type of shit. Yeah. You can't just be, well, everything's serious. Yeah, we have to take everything super serious. We have to believe everything we say as we say it, when we say it, how we say it. And you're like, just remember, you're writing the biggest toy franchise in the world's marketing material. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. But I think it comes, it just, it, it stems from the fact that there's too much Star Wars now. Yeah. They took uh, episodes one, two, and three. People like them. They're, they're allowed to like them. I don't, but your mileage may vary. And then we had four, five, we had four, five, and six first, which is the great, untouchable, fantastic trilogy. All, all three films are great. Then we returned to it and we had seven, eight, and nine. Mixed bag. Force Awakens is probably the strongest of the series, but then Diminishing Returns. Then you had two good solo outings. Then you've had Mandalorian. Like, let's just stop pushing out so much Star Wars shit. But that's not going to happen because they've just greenlit 12 new Star Wars TV shows. They need to, they need to just stop plastering Star Wars on everything and just maybe put a pin in things and realise what's working with Star Wars, what's not working with Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, if, we... if, you, if you sneezed in Star Wars and the fans liked it, that character is going to get a show, you know, eh, vis-a-vis, you know, Cassie Andor from Rogue One. Yeah. Or the fucking droids. And uh, any Star Wars thing, the, the droids have their own show that's coming out. I wonder if that might be where this ultimately leads to, is the fact that the the Star Wars movies are the big events, they're the universe changing, uh, like, like cosmos shifting uh, big blockbuster cinema moments. Where I think the fans of the universe that have grown up with it, as you said, like uh, Kathleen Kennedy says that the, the Mandalorians bring back the older fans. Like the older fans want something more that's a bit more realistic in a weird way. Like it's more down to earth and it's more relatable. And I think that might be what those fans want. They want something that's a bit more ambient, a bit more gritty and muddy and could possibly happen or reflect something real. Whereas, you know, Star Wars as a as a movie franchise is a big silly light show. I yeah. think, you know, you can't... You could maybe try and balance those two, but I don't think you can. I've heard that they're trying to go for a, a big extended universe thing, so you'll have... From the Mandalorian, that's where they're basically taking their, their, uh, their next step. They're going to build off the Mandalorian, and then there's going to be a big uh, Avenger-style movie where all these different characters, obviously the prequel-type characters, because there's an Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, series, obviously he's not going to show up, and there's going to be characters that have died after this point that can't really show up. But all the films set after the Mandalorian, or the programs set after the Mandalorian, they're all going to show up and fight some big bad guy in an Avengers-type film, which I'd be okay with, but it would need to be done right, and it can't just be... Oh, hey there, Mandalorian. Good to see you here, old buddy. Let's go and punch me a space Nazi. Yeah. And my concern is with everyone wanting to be the new Avengers, then when it comes down to how you actually pull that off, not a lot of people know the Star Wars villains beyond uh, Darth Maul, Darth Vader, uh, maybe Count Dooku gets an honourable mention because it's Christopher Lee, and an Emperor yeah. Palpatine. But beyond that... Like, the main villain for, say, five 
of the nine movies that have come out has been the one guy. I don't know how deep the roster is on Star Wars villains because as someone who's not attached to the franchise the same way other people are, I just don't know who the villains are. It's always some guy with an English accent that's the admiral of a Starfleet that gets blown up by one guy taking a pot shot. That's, that's like two of the main villains for most of the series. That's the thing. If you watch The Rise of Skywalker, it kind of makes you hate the Emperor. Like, the Emperor's not this kind of, I had this planned all along. <laughs> he, would, he would explain things. Like, he's, he's all about the slow burners. Like, he wouldn't just go, I know uh, spaceships arise from beneath this planet's crust that were <laughs> built by very techy Sith mages. I still love the fact that we st- that we we watched that scene and then both realized this is just nonsense. <laughs> yeah. They they they're just going to make up whatever it needs to be to feel scary, to give the end of the movie a bit of weight to it that doesn't actually work, and then just him like screaming at unlimited power and then throwing enough lightning into the sky to wreck everything for a hundred miles was just amazing to watch. <laughs> it didn't even say unlimited power. Was that something we made up? That was something we made up. Oh, he, he just puts his hand <laughs> up and, uh, and creates the, the fork lightning. But that's how something so ridiculous, like, we can... <laughs> like, our reaction to that ruins the entire movie, and therefore, several other movies. Because <laughs> eventually, somebody's going to sit down, having watched these new Star Wars films, watch the original trilogy and go, Oh, yeah, I know, but this glides now. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> I'll turn it off and go watch something else instead. I mentioned that I want to talk a bit about D and D because I've seen I've seen a few posts now saying that people are expecting D and D to be a bit more what's the best way a bit more thespian a bit more flamboyant than it than it actually is a bit more theatrical a bit more theatrical yeah yeah I think we talked about this quite a bit about um you, you told us about this before there was a, an issue coming up in the D and D community that people were listening to Critical Role and other D&D podcasts, and coming into sessions with general nerds expecting a performance. And, yeah, people, uh, yeah. Yeah, people are expecting... Uh, like people are expecting voice actor quality productions with every D&D experience now, which is unfair. Uh, because I think as good as much good as Critical Role does you know for the game and out with the game because they donate so much money to different charities and they have the Critical Role Foundation which uh, sends out money to various different charities that help all different walks of people but they have a major drawback of people think that's how D&D is and one of my favourite things nowadays is to go I found a YouTube channel called Crit Crab where this guy dives into the D&D Horror Stories Reddit and pulls up all these different stories, talking about you know a there was one that I just watched today where he was talking about a a DM who was using his D and D game to describe how the Capitol riot was justified and how <laughs> Trump should essentially be the God President of the United States of America, and as you can expect, every single member of his party left, <laughs> said this is worth it, as as their right to to do as they are human beings they shouldn't be subjected to this shit the freedom of speech to uh, include freedom of association yeah but uh, through this because I, I I like to read D&D horror stories because I'm a DM I like to learn from other people's mistakes and if I was ever to do I can pot a D&D podcast I hope other people will learn from my mistakes because I'm very I'm a, I'm a I'm an unlenient DM if you didn't tell me that you're going to do something I'm not going to let you backtrack and retroactively do it 
Oh, I meant to do that. Well, you'll get it next time. I'm a bit of a bit of a harsh taskmaster when it comes to that, but I think you need to be. But uh, so I was uh, trolling through. I think it was. I found it on Reddit, but it was it was a copied story from somewhere else, and I for the life of me cannot find it again. I found this about a couple of weeks ago. Funnily enough, right after we recorded the the best of episode, which is available now, and you should download it because it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> shameless plug. Check. Shameless uh, plug for ourselves. <laughs> Uh, so and it was a. Uh, uh, I think that somebody was in uh, college getting an acting degree, and it was a uh, the campus was near enough. It was kind of an offshoot campus of a, a one overarching university, and near that campus was another sort of technical university. You know, studying medicine, studying law, that kind of thing. Studying uh, real shit. Lot, <laughs> doing the real thing that you know actually has a point. <laughs> uh. I got I got into a bit of a discussion with someone recently about you know real jobs, but I won't get into it on microphone because it got very heated. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you about it off mic. Sorry, listeners, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to wonder what we're talking about. But anyway, back, back to the D and D story. So, a guy uh, was looking for a D and D group. Uh, he said he heard so many wonderful things about D and D. And he wanted to try playing it, and he was uh, getting an acting. He was studying uh, film acting and uh, theater acting. I don't know what the technical degree was. He was studying acting, uh, and a friend of his who was at this other uh, university said, "I play in this group." So I, just say, I think it may be like performing arts degree. I don't yeah, know why. I, I don't know why I know that phrase, degree. but it sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds right. And if you say it with enough confidence, people will believe yeah. you. Uh, so he was getting a performing arts degree. Asked his friend. Friend said, "Yeah, we have a group every uh, every two weeks on a Thursday night. Feel free to come along." Uh, and the guy, you know, not knowing what to do, is like, "What should I do? How should I dress?" And the guy just, "Don't worry about it. You'll be fine." So the guy, making a decent effort, you know, puts on decent clothes. I don't know why this is in the story, but it is. And uh, he gets to the table, sets up his dice, sets up his uh, his iPad for D and D Beyond, and uh, they're doing the character introductions, and then there's the the usual character introductions, people not really getting too bombastic about it. Like, Hi, uh, I'm an 8th level rogue. My name is uh, Persephone. I am I come from this land. Like, oh, cool, great, great, great. So there's about three other people, then it gets to the <laughs> gets to the, 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 the title character of this, of this story. And it goes, you know, one story, two story, and then it gets to him and it goes, my name is Thespianos. I come from this land. And he's properly getting into it, and everyone's just going, everyone's looking at him going, dude, Calm down. And in every reaction, he's just, you know, going over the top. He's being flamboyant, he's being, you know, out there, he's putting he's putting on a performance. And at the end of it he asked the DM for any notes and the, the only note that the DM had was tone it down a bit. It's not that kind of game. And his <laughs> his he ended this was well, am I the asshole for trying to act in this game that is essentially improv? And then it was just yeah, yes. temper, you know, <laughs> like yes, you are. Temper your expectations when it comes to D D. It's not only just Whenever you cast a spell, it's not I reach into my bag and summon the courage of my dead hamsters and then I throw the fireball at my enemy. Sometimes it's just I cast fireball at him. Again, Critical Role do that well because they're all trained actors. You'll hear Liam O'Brien, who's probably one of my favourite voice actors, like viscerally describe how to throw a fireball. But you don't need to do that. Temper your expectations when it comes to playing D&D because... If you're going to come in there looking, I mean, some groups do like that. Some some groups that I've seen are pretty much based on role playing only, which is fine. But don't go in there expecting everybody 
to be this thespian great actor who's going to just knock the DM dead with his portrayal of Fuck Nugget the Fourth Mage. It's, it's not good. And I think that it's, it's a growing problem in D&D. People not tempering their expectations. I mean, we, we talked about this the last time this came up. Yeah. And uh, when, it, when we walked away, I think, from that one, I'm still walking away with the same point now, is that yeah. if you want to go in and have that big theatrical experience, we're going to recreate the Lord of the Rings using only vocal performances, and it's going to be so convincing, we'll all be weeping by the end of it. Go for it. Make sure everyone in the room is going to go for it as well, though, because otherwise, you're the one guy who looks a bit like a tit. So that might not be the group for you. If everyone just wants to have a more laid back, just more of a gaming affair, more mechanical, more about the, the interactions, the, the dice rolling, the, the combat or whatever, that's how that session's going to go. Don't be that one guy trying to drag it the other way. Just accept it for what it is. It's a pastime, it's a hobby, it's it's the fun game you play with your friends with a couple beers. It's not yeah. always going to be this big to-do, you know? Yeah, and I'm hoping there will come a time where I don't have to talk about this, but... To be honest, I didn't need to talk about this one, but it was just so funny because the final point the, when a guy said, "Am I the asshole?" was just I expected this to be this massive in, uh, exchange of you know ideas and you know performances. But what I did was I spent most of my time rolling dice and doing mathematics. <laughs> well, that's what D&D is. There's a lot of maths involved. There's a lot of strategy. There's even some kind of uh, trajectories that you need to work out. There's angles like because if I fire a fireball here, it might ricochet. There's more to D and D than just being I will cast fireball. Like, it, <laughs> there's there's conversation. There's you know doing some maths. There's uh, you know a bit of puzzle, a bit of strategy to it. It's not all just you know being thespianist, the chief actor. But now, not only am I worried about this guy's D and D night being ruined, and everyone else's D and D night being ruined by him being there, I'm kind of worried for his acting career. Because yeah, he it doesn't sound like, a great actor, does he? <laughs> no, I'm more worried about the fact that he has he's going for a a diploma of some kind in yeah. performance theatre, and he is trying to say that there's basically one way to do it, and that is the treading the boards. Ironically enough, because we talked about it earlier on, that is the musical side of things. That is the singing your emotions. That is the overperforming. The uh, Shakespearean acting is what it used to be called. Um, and even then, a Shakespearean actor who's good enough, i.e. Sir Ian McKellen, Sir Patrick Stewart, the good ones, know that not every role is a Shakespearean role. Acting has different layers depending on which character, depending on the setting of the movie. If you show up to a, say, I mean Judd Apatow was the big one for this, with the kind of mumble, uh, mumblecore movies that he used to make where it was all kind of subdued performances, it was more naturalistic, Seth Rogen was in half of them. It was all about a film recreating something that could have happened to one of your friends. If you showed up like that, delivering every line like it's the last like 20 minutes of a Hamlet, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb and you're going to be seen as tonally different from the rest of the film. Same idea with your D&D night. So if you can't get that <laughs> at D&D night, the low stakes version of this scenario, I am kind of terrified to see what happens when this guy actually books a movie <laughs> yeah I mean it's safe to say that oh, the, the original poster of this is never he's never going to play D&D again and he will probably not have a lot of success when it comes to his acting career 
but you know, maybe he, maybe OP is going to find that thespian acting group that plays D and D, and maybe he's going to have a great time. Maybe he's going to, you know, be the next Oscar winner. Yeah, if that's the tone of the room and everyone's going for it, that actually sounds like a laugh. I really think if you say, guys, we just finished a big campaign. Next week, we're going to come back. We're going to get a little drunk. And we're all going to overact the shit out of our like mini scenario written up where we're all going to be playing bards. And everyone just goes for it. And like, say, it's like, oh, it's like five bards all accusing each other of murder. And everyone has to kind of like perform with a liar to like make it more authentic. That sounds like a good drunken giggle that would be fun, like a good little palate cleanser at the end of like a big serious heavy campaign. That would work. But that can't be your bread and butter if that's not what everyone in the, in the room wants to do like if everyone wants to do that every week sounds fun for you guys just not for everyone else it's a bit of a rough bag but hopefully a couple more months of matt mercer putting out the the video of stop copying me you don't need to hopefully people get the get the point is he having to make video logs about that now i think every month or so he will hit twitter and just say guys why does this keep happening (laughs) Guys, my inbox can't take it anymore. <laughs> Apparently, uh, he had to cut off his uh, public or his, his DMs because people were just messaging him with either uh, D&D questions or uh, like random bullshit. So he had to close his public DMs. I, I think about the idea that you know we've entered a new age of geekdom where geekiness is very publicly acceptable. And, you know, like, the the top top films for the last couple of years, superhero movies based on comic books, or Star Wars movies, or, like, the DC comic books and stuff like that, the Marvel stuff, the DC stuff, Star Trek is back somehow, um, in multiple different variations, um, like, there's so much geeky shit going on. And then all of a sudden you realise that there's going to be some geek casualty in there, and I think Matt Mercer might be one of them, he might have accidentally created the most entertaining geek podcast of all time and now all yeah. of a sudden he has to he's seen as this new messiah and unfortunately that means you get to deal with the messiah's inbox yeah and to see before the, the rabid fan base that's now associated with critical role i would not want to be uh, involved in, uh, in any way shape or form yeah i back before, back in the old world i i had plans to, me and my older brother had plans to go down to london comic-con the mcm event uh, would I fuck be going to London now because that's just a petri dish of disease uh, so I was going to get something for the Critical Role guys to sign probably to my detriment to the tune of about £400 to get all their signatures because it probably would be expensive but I was going to buy their coffee table book and uh, I thought I'll leave it to the day that it gets released because surely it can't sell it that quickly and apparently it sold out within an hour so that, Critical Role fans normal, are yeah. rabid motherfuckers when it comes to merch so yeah Especially if you just say, oh, and it's uh, a limited release, you have unleashed all hell. (laughs) Why would you do this to us? (laughs) And that's, like, whenever someone says limited release now, like, geek stuff is instantly fucked. Look at consoles, look at graphics cards, look at merch lines. Like, everything just sells out instantly because there's so many of us now. Yeah, I'm still hunting for a fucking Series X, man. As soon as they dropped that, uh, the trailer for Resident Evil 8, I was hunting, man. I've been hunting for... When did the when did the Xboxes come out? <laughs> they never wear it. <laughs> that's the that's the trick. Uh, the uh, Xbox the Series Xs came out. Or <laughs> they dropped. They were launched in October. Sold out October the first. Uh, 
I've been keeping my ear to the ground looking for one of those. And then when the Resident Evil trailer dropped, I was like, I need to get one of these. I need to get one of these. I want to play Resident Evil in, you know, 8K or my 4K TV. All i got to say, Dom, is, first of all, how do you know they ever launched? Have you seen one yet? I haven't. I'm starting to think this whole thing's fake. I think this is a fake nonsense manufactured in China. <laughs> and the frog's gay. <laughs> and here we go. Really the frog's gay. But um, the one thing I've noticed when it comes to like the, the surprise drops from... It's so weird that like we have to now look at a major manufacturer of a gaming console doing shit like a Supreme store. <laughs> surprise drop at 3am. Um, no, but they, they have a... A, a general pattern that I've noticed is the people who get it and get one booked are generally awake first thing in the morning. And it's yeah. normally, like, some some poor person's like, I'm actually now kind of glad my baby woke me up at four in the morning because now I've just seen the Xboxes are in stock in Argos and I've got one booked. Hooray! <laughs> like, that's yeah, the that's the it. saddest fatherhood story I've heard this year. <laughs> they went on sale in a Courage PC world and I thought, well, I'll wake up early-ish not early enough as I found out, and see if there's one there, try and grab it. I woke up at, I think, 8 o'clock to check my phone and see if I could get one. They were gone. Hours before I even got up. I think about a good solid 8 hours before I woke up. As soon as they dropped on midnight, they were gone. I, uh, I've i only been in those situations once because I don't really rush to buy stuff as it comes out on launch day. Never really assuming yeah. that we'd be in a backlog of pre-orders maybe four or five months after launches. But the only time I've been in one of those kind of like bidding queues is uh, I was getting tickets from my dad to go see ACDC like a decade ago. Actually, probably yeah. more than that. And uh, yeah, it's so nerve wracking. I genuinely hate like sitting there at the computer, just like clicking to just try and maybe hope to get through to the buying line, slamming in your credit card information and just hoping you've got the right information. Otherwise, you I just that. spent like 500 quid as opposed to 50 quid. Yeah. Just uh, it's funny that you bring up the. the queuing for gig tickets i did that with two gigs one of which i'd never went to the second one i got tickets for because i got in early and then the gig got cancelled the first one that i was talking about was the slipknot gig the most recent slipknot gig and i was like fuck yeah i'm gonna go to this then i found out there was only seating tickets available i am not going to a slipknot <laughs> gig seated number one number two was a uh, rob zombie the last tour he was in edinburgh i think i want to say 2016 and i paid a decent whack of cash for uh, three tickets for uh, my brother and my brother's wife and myself to go out there to go to the gig and then it, it was about three weeks before the gig and he fucking cancelled the cancelled the gig not happy about that because he'd already played before in Glasgow and I was going to the Edinburgh show because I missed the Glasgow show and yeah motherfucker cancelled on me yeah bastard and now the thing is now that we've had the, the pandemic experience shall we say are you ever going to like you, you stuck your nose up basically seating tickets for Slipknot which is understandable I've made the same move myself but are you ever going to do that again? Do what again? Go to a concert? No 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 just say no to seating tickets for Slipknot like a high level okay. band but you can only get seating tickets Oh well I think in the future I probably would just you know if it's only seating ticket fuck it I'll take it just I, because I'm trying to wheeze on my way down into the standing seats or the standing area <laughs> Yeah I mean I've done that at an In Flames gig I said I was going to the toilet and the guy the security guard literally caught me. Said you were just up in the seat and ticket, and I went, "Oh come on, it's my birthday." And he went, I'm. <laughs> I think it was March or something like that. <laughs> my birthday's not till the end of the year. But yeah, I said, "Oh come on, man, it's my birthday." And I went, ah, when you go then, 
Yeah. If you're just one, I think to be fair as well, it might be easier f- to do it to a younger kid, especially if you're an older security guard. You kind of go, ah, he's a wee scamp. He's not doing anything hard. Just get him in. <laughs> Whereas now, I, think I don't think we're passing. <laughs> yeah. Now I don't think we're getting away with that. I think now that I don't have any black hair left, my hair's pretty much completely white. I think the cow just got eye away to the seats, mate. <laughs> now, now you get to just just age it up a bit and say, "You say what, old man?" <laughs> I say that to my face, young bastard. Young bastard. You young men these days. <laughs> immediately, if if that doesn't get the hands off you, immediately you're fine. <laughs> you should immediately just back off and just be like, "Okay, kid. Uh, okay, old man. Uh, sorry about that. Didn't mean to disturb you." <laughs> <laughs> I'll try that next. If we ever get to go to live gigs again, I'll definitely try that. But I think I think in the meantime, the most we can really hope for is you know sticking to the live streams and maybe getting some live gigs on you know pay per view streaming, which I think seems to be the way to go because there's a lot of comedy shows that have started doing that as well. Yeah. Over a lockdown, I've been reacclimated with a, a an acting troupe called Mischief. Right. And they they do they do a show called The Play Goes Wrong, which basically they take uh, Peter Pan. They'll try and do it right, but you know, the, uh, some of the the flight wriggle just you know snaps. So there's a guy spinning around the stage. You know, obviously it's completely safe, but they just how funny would it be if they take the super serious, this uh, incredibly serious uh, play, and just fuck it up at every turn? <laughs> like they they did a live show or they did a, a taping for the BBC, and they're in this pirate ship at the end of the third act or something. And they lose control of the pirate ship and they start crashing through the BBC studio. <laughs> it's pretty good. And uh, I think they've moved. They do a show called uh, Mischief Movie Night. Right. Where they, uh, they'll do a completely improv movie. Like taking suggestions from the audience. So they'll do, you know, give me a Korean zombie film set in Chiswick. Like, show me what <laughs> that would look like. And uh, they, they'll do that. I think they do, I think they go on for about three hours or something. Like, that. like they, they do three hours over a week, so you've got an hour one hour one day, hour one day, hour one day and like, you pay something like a tenner for this pay-per-view pass and you get the live streamed uh, content it's pretty good, but I think that is the future of uh, comedy because it's still, it's still very weird because you see people doing live comedy gigs now on Zoom and hear them drop funny as hell jokes and hear silence, or in the case of the last one that I watched, you hear their dog barking or their children running around in the background. It's, this is just, it's not the same, is it? It needs a, a tweak, I think. And I think the tweak it might be benefit from is having a little bit of audience laughter track in the fact that if you tell them, hey, comedian can hear you laugh, don't tell them that everyone else can hear them laugh, but then just feed everyone's mics into each other a little bit. I mean, it's going to be tricky because there's going to be that one guy that's listening to music as he listens to stuff. We're going to get like the faint hint through like a compressed audio file on a microphone on a laptop from like 1920 or whatever like you'll be able to hear something that you like doesn't help add to the ambience but I think if you could get people in the room to just turn off everything and just laugh when you think something's funny you would find people actually enjoying the shows a bit more and maybe opening up the comedians now but I think a truly professional comic will have their patter down for an online show by now if they've been doing them religiously but uh, yeah. most of the people I listen to are obviously the LA-based guys, or previously LA-based guys, because they're all moving out now. But, uh, yeah, Texas and shit like that. It's, uh, I think it might actually just be Bill Burr and uh, Burt Kreischer left in uh, in LA by the end of the year. At best. 
Did you see that uh, Dave Chappelle caught COVID? Yeah, I did. Uh, but one last thing, though, but, um, Tom Segura has been doing a lot of stuff with uh, online broadcasts. Same type of thing you talk about, like a, pay, a premium uh, pay-per-view thing. So it's like 10 yeah, quid yeah. for an, uh, an event. And uh, it's it's literally just an extended version of the podcast he does with Bert, but they go away, they film challenges and stuff. And uh, this is how Tom Segura broke his arm and his leg, by the way. And I've seen the footage for it now. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> you no. would not... I, I don't know if you've seen it anywhere. Um, I know it's been, like, photoshopped in memes. Uh, but holy fuck. Watching it actually happen, like, they were talking about it for so long. Because uh, they felt that it happened, like, a month out from the actual event. And they were talking about it non-stop uh, before the event actually kicked off. And actually watching the footage, I was like, okay, you guys did not overhype this one. This one, you actually earned that uh, oh shit moment from me. So, yeah. Um, they've been doing these. I've done two of them so far. I'm actually going to miss the next one um, because it's the Super Bowl game. So they're going to do uh, a live commentary track. of like They won't show anything from the game. They'll just say, okay, we're starting the kickoff in three, two, one, and then they just start going. Like, it's like, oh. Yeah, um, so they're going to do live commentary for the Super Bowl uh, game, which is the 6th or 7th, I can't remember which day it is, of February. But uh, I'm working, so I'm not going to be able to see it live with the with the, the Super Bowl, which would be fun, because uh, yeah. they're having Rob Sapp on, which is going to be interesting, because uh, he's a former NFL player. They've, jo- sure. they've joked about collaborating with him, and like he actually was like, yeah, I'll do it. Let's go. What do you want to do? And he said, uh, Super Bowl commentary. I said, yeah, cool. Sounds great. And he went for it. Um, so they're doing that next week, I think. Or maybe later on. Uh, yeah, two weeks from now. But I'm not going to I'm not gonna get it because I'm going to miss it. And there's no point in having the commentary track if you can't watch the whole game yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll miss it. That's a bit of a shame. But at the very least, we've always got uh, video games to fall back on. What have you been, uh, what have you been playing this week, this month? Um, I have, let's see, um, I have, for some reason I've fallen back into Minecraft, I have no fucking idea why. Um, oh, apologize, that was a terrible segue, but I, <laughs> I couldn't figure a way to transition smoothly from Super Bowl party, or Super Bowl watch party to video games, so fuck it. You take what you can get, goddammit. <laughs> I think you would have gotten away with it, it wasn't as bad as you thought, but now you've called attention to it, yeah, subpar. Um, <laughs> Can't see I'm giving you the finger. This <laughs> uh, is for the audience. Double board. <laughs> I uh, I I literally just have had Minecraft running. I learned how to build some farms for stuff because I'm considering playing it a little bit more um, with like people on streams. So I've got it there if I want to play it. Um, other than that, it has been mostly what the hell was I playing with? Uh, Jamie the other day. Huh. I was playing something. I played a bit of Left 4 Dead. Uh, as well, since we're last on stream or last on the the podcast together, and uh, then just Destiny, I've been trying to get back into that as well because I used to play that game religiously, and now it's still good. It's just not as good as I remember it in my head. <laughs> um, so yeah, every time they they take a step forward, they take two steps back. One big part of it being they keep uh, blocking off content. So there's been previously up to what seven or eight destinations. And on the one hand, I can see why they've taken it back a bit. Um, I think it might have actually been up to 10 at one point. But there's 10 destinations on the map that you can go to. And each one's its own fairly large like hub world with its own like spin-off quests and stuff. And yeah. when they cut it down and said start vaulting content, I got kind of pissed but went back 
a year later to see how it gone. It's not bad. The the quality is still there for what they've left. Uh, but stuff is apparently supposed to rotate in and out of the vault once it's been worked on and tweaked and stuff. But I've just not seen it happen yet. So I'm just kind of waiting to see how it goes. But I mean, this the, the game is so big in its scale and what the plan is that it's going to take like a year to figure out if it worked or not. So it's kind of a wait and see situation. But uh, beyond that, I played a bit of uh, the Crash Bandicoot remake, and uh, yeah, it's definitely not the same. It is a, like a ground-up remake or uh, of what was there in the original game, and I'm having a lot of fun with it, so haven't played much of it, though. I should play a little bit more and do a bit more digging into what's been going on, like what they, just why they did it in general, and to print money. But uh, yeah, it's it's fun. Got it on Steam on sale, so I'll, I'll be back with maybe a bit more information next episode. When you say remake of Crash Bandicoot, do you mean the uh, the trilogy re-release? Yeah, the or... insane trilogy, I think it's called. It's always one series of games that I want to get around to, but at the same time, I can wait. I was always more of a Spyro fan. You're going to find out, by the way, that you're not as good at these games as you remember you were. Um... I, would those. I, I suck at platformers, especially like a platformer that can get as quick as Crash can. <laughs> I I have no expectations. I'm going to be good at it. As quick as it can, as quick as Crash can get in 3D, um, yeah, it's a bit nuts. And I've got the Spiral trilogy sitting there as well, um, just because I say they're both on sale at the same time, and uh, yeah. I was like, I'll, I'll grab both of those. And based on the remaster of Crash, I am all about the the Spiral remake before I've even seen gameplay of it. If it's half as good as what Crash has got going for it, it's going to be insanely good. Well, that is. Talking about buying shit in sales, I had to stop myself. I was buying so fucking much in uh, sales. I bought most of the Yakuza games. All right. Uh, I bought Yakuza Zero for PlayStation, but because PlayStation, right? I'm just going to say this. <laughs> I think it needs to be said. PlayStation Four specifically. I haven't played the PlayStation Five to try it. But the PlayStation Four might be the shittiest built console of all time. Right. Tell them how you really feel, Dom. <laughs> Say that again? Tell them how you really feel. <laughs> Fuck it. But right, the PlayStation, I will give it this massive, massive point in its favour. It has some really, really good uh, exclusives. It has Street Fighter Five. it has Uncharted games, it's got Last of Us Part 1, it's got uh, Shadow of the Colossus, it's the Guilty Gear games, it's got a lot of good PlayStation, Final Fantasy VII Remake, can't forget that, uh, Kingdom Hearts, no, that's not really a PlayStation exclusive, and all I said about KH3, the better, but it's got some really good exclusives. But... <laughs> Hardware is a steaming pile of shit that is waiting to break. I I clean my PlayStation out regularly, as everyone who has consoles should do. You should clear the dust out with that shit, make sure it runs properly. But I have had my uh, Xbox One, just original model, OG Xbox One, for as long as I have had two PlayStations. The first PlayStation uh, my brother bought started running ridiculously loud, run about the time Monster Hunter World came out, and I don't, I think. It had only been in use for three years at that point, and just decided to tank, like get really, really loud. Games would take forever to fucking load, uh, so you know, decided to upgrade. And I think I had the the PlayStation Four that I'm currently using, my PlayStation Four Slim, for the same length of time, three years, and it is still it is now running extremely loud on startup when I'm not even reading data from a disc. If I'm using an app to watch uh, Scrubs on Channel Four or something. It still runs loud. Juxtapose that to my Xbox, who can run brand new games without even, you know, spinning the fans and getting really loud. So, 
to all the PlayStation fans, I will give you that point that they have really good exclusive games, but the hardware is shit. Like, Xbox, you don't need to buy a new Xbox every three years, so you can keep that Xbox going for... I've had that Xbox going for about seven years. Seven years plus. I've had two PlayStations in that uh, length of time. Sony, sort your shit out, mate. You're drunk at the wheel. <laughs> it's odd because you this isn't an isolated case if you're wondering and you know I don't get the console thing or whatever. Like Dom's not the only case study I have in this one. My brother's PS4s all have the same thing. You get about four, three, four, five years in, all of a sudden mm. the the fan speed starts to either ramp or the fans themselves become squeaky. Which for a thing that's supposed to sit quietly in the corner while you play video games, not the best look. Um, I mean, I, I mean, my Xbox had a slightly different issue, where it wouldn't connect the header uh, to the motherboard for the the fan itself, so the fan would disconnect or not read temperatures correctly. Mm. It just wouldn't turn on, and I'd basically have a fried console within like five minutes. Um, I was able to solve that for a bit by just pumping air through it. <laughs> I literally had like a USB fan sitting at the side of the Xbox, pushing air through the grill. So that it would cool components and it, the fan being caught in the motion of the air would kind of spin a little bit and move some of the air for it. But uh, yeah, like it's not a unique issue entirely like the PlayStation 4. It just, there's a lot of people with that same story of, yeah, around about three years in, my PlayStation did start to just start doing vertical takeoffs. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that the fan next to the PlayStation, if I want to play a new game on the PlayStation 4, I have to stick a fan in front of it. <laughs> just to cool it down because it, the noise that comes off it and the heat is unbearable. It's annoying. I don't want that for my consoles. I shouldn't be able to cook a, like, to cook toast on my PlayStation. I guess that one, I'm pretty sure I could throw toast on there or throw bread on there and cook toast. <laughs> Motherfucker. And uh, talking about Yakuza, I bought Yakuza 0 and I bought Yakuza 3, 4 and 5 Remaster because they were both very cheap. And then I thought, well, if it's struggling to play Medieval, Medieval, you know, a fairly, you know, high quality game. Uh, Yakuza is a fairly high quality game, especially the HD edition on PlayStation. I don't think the PlayStation Four is going to be able to handle it. But then, luckily, Xbox Game Pass stepped in and went, "Oh, you want to play those games? Step on over to your PC. You can play Yakuza One. You can play Yakuza Kiwami Two. You can play Yakuza Kiwami One. And don't stop there. We're getting three, four, and five, and we're getting six, and we're getting Like a Dragon soon. So, just play. I, at least I can play them on my PC." So, I've been doing a lot of PC gaming with uh, Yakuza 0 right now. See, I've, I've heard good things about Yakuza from a lot of people who are anime fans, so I was wondering for your take on it, just in general, as a series. Because I hear that, like, uh, on the one hand, you have a very interesting story of uh, betrayal, loyalty, honour, like, sacrifice, and genuine, like, gut-punching human moments. And on the other hand, you have a guy singing karaoke as a minigame. And that yeah. both of those are the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, oh, the story the story is fantastic. It, it's you'd think for a weird for a game called Yakuza, you think it would just be oh you're gonna go and shake down some people all your money, you're gonna be a gangster. It couldn't be further from it. You start off the game as a gangster and you're trying to leave the life behind so you can clear your own name or clear your family's name. Uh, or in the other character that you play as, you're basically trying to earn your way back into the family because of some atrocity. And like they're very involved games, like the characters are actually fairly well developed characters. And uh, like the combat is fair. The combat isn't you know game breakingly complex, but the combat is pretty fun and flashy, and very heavy hitting when it needs to be. I do draw the line at the karaoke though because I can't do it. 
I can't. My stupid fat fingers can't can't deal with that shit. <laughs> the karaoke is the least weird of the storylines I've seen. Yeah. Um, Super Eye Patch Wolf has a couple of videos on Yakuza and Shenmue as well, and he contrasts the two together. Um, which yeah. is it's an interesting way of looking at how games have changed over the last couple of years, or just mm-hmm. how a different a different game director can look at the same rough concepts and put together some completely different ideas. But um, yeah. I mean that's how that's how I would describe uh, Yakuza to people. It is better Shenmue. It is good Shenmue. If you want you know combat that doesn't feel like you're thigh deep in mud constantly, and you want character movement that doesn't feel like tank controls, the bad kind. Uh, and a story that actually moves along at a decent pace, play Yakuza. And uh, if you want to, disregarding side story stuff, you can finish Yakuza in 30 hours, which is why I wouldn't really recommend it to people, because it's a long game, and you will be stuck playing... If you go for just main story completion, you'll be playing it for a while. If you go for everything, which is it's something that I don't want to do, it's something I'll probably end up doing, though, because I get oddly OCD with shit like that. I need to, I need to do everything in the game before I put it down. I think it comes from when I was younger. If I got a game, I'd try and get the most out of it because I knew it would be a while before I got a new one. And that's just kind of bled over. But adding on the, the additional side shit can add an extra 30, 40 hours onto the game. So, But... Those... It's a fantastic game that I don't think I could recommend to people. But those 30 to 40 extra hours include perverts dressed up as babies and... A fight with a colossal squid. Take that for what it's worth. (laughs) It might be my favourite part of his video where he explains, I decided to just walk around the the local village and found myself walking down the docks. Then bumped into a sailor. All of a sudden I'm fighting (laughs) a giant squid with a spear gun. Like, what? (laughs) Uh, Although my my current gripes with the game is I keep getting targeted by a character called Mr. Shakedown. Right. And Mr. Shakedown does exactly what you think he does. He shakes you down for every penny that you have because he needs a special type of physical training that he can only get by robbing rich people and using their money because he can't afford it himself. <laughs> and at one point, he he hit me to the ground once, took off half my health bar. He hit me on the ground again, and I lost all my health and all my money. <laughs> and then he looked at me going, that's your own fault for having too much money. Get out. <laughs> I'm like, Fucker. And it starts off with this kind of klaxon, that kind of to signify that he's nearby. Then it starts playing his theme, and I'm like, no, 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 no. and you can't run. <laughs> he you has all... his own theme. <laughs> yeah, he does. And there's I hope it's. I hope it's not like. I hope it's not like the game giving him music. I hope it's him with a boombox, just seeing you across the street, and be like, oh shit. Bing! <laughs> that, that would be cool, but no, it's the game giving him theme music. Oh, because the thing is, with, with these games, something like that would happen. I prefer the idea of him, him having a, a slightly smaller Mr. Shakedown, like his daughter or his son or something like that, carrying a boombox behind him. He's playing his theme tune. <gasps> Lil Shake. <laughs> yeah, that motherfucker. Comes out of nowhere. And there's, he plays two characters. There's a, a Kazuma Kiryu, who's the, the title character. They call him the Dragon of Dojima. He's kind of an enforcer for one of the Yakuza clans. He gets framed for... A, murder, even though he's kind of like Batman he'll beat the shit out of anybody but he'll draw, draws the line at killing people, despite the fact that you stamp on people's heads and brain them with bikes in the game still has never killed uh, he gets framed for murder and uh, kind of lost my original point here <laughs> 
Side Japanese like Batman Yakuza fighting giant squid. Uh, little shake in the remix. Little shake. Yeah, we'll just leave it up. <laughs> play, play the game. I, I would recommend it to you, but only if you have a lot of time. Because I've jumped into this, you know, knee deep, and I will have. I'll be playing Yakuza games for quite a while. It was like when I first started listening to Critical Role, I started at season one of two seasons. Each season has about 100 and odd episodes in it. I am on episode 30 of season two with another 80, no, 90 odd episodes to go because they're up to episode 120 now. So I've got a long way to go with that shit. And I have seven extra Yakuza games to play after Yakuza 0. Yeah, although um, I, I did see they were up on Xbox. I, I'm maybe going to try and get them around. Like I do have time off kind of coming up well, it's not really time off but uh I'm, my work's doing six days on six days off so we're i'm gonna have long periods of extended free time which might be pretty useful for playing something like this so we'll see what i've got oh also just to anyone listening i'm getting my netflix uh back so i'm paying for that subscription service again if you have any recommendations for stuff to sh- uh, that's going to show up on there let me know and i'll add it to my to watch list because I don't know what I want to watch, and if someone says you need to watch this right now, it's a good, it's a better start than me just kind of thumbing through those kind of menus for a while. You know how it goes. You've all done it. Don't judge me. You just, we all just channel stuff. Ah, fuck that. I remember my other point. Well, that's what I was talking about. You plays uh, Kiryu and uh, another character called Goro Majima, and as Kiryu, I always seem to get a shit ton of money. So on. Kiryu, I have about 10 million yen. Nice. But on Majima, I only have about 30,000 to 50,000 yen. So, Mr. Shakedown never comes near Majima, but I can't get away from him. It's Kiryu. Motherfucker <laughs> all the time is Kiryu. I wonder what happens if you start, like, is you can obviously spend that money in places in the prefecture. Yeah, you can buy items and you can buy upgrades to your characters because you get different uh, fighting stances. Like with uh, the three that I have for Kiryu are Brawler, which is a kind of you know wide cowboy swinging, just brutal fighting style. Then there's a what's it called? Uh, I, I can't remember the name of it, but it's more of a kind of boxer stance. It's more about ducking and weaving and moving. And then there's the Beast stance, which is just all about big, heavy, crushing blows and picking up uh, signs and braining people in the head with them. And you can spend money upgrading those. Wait, 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 wait. A guy who is a martial arts mar- martial arts master walks in and kicks your ass, tells you you have too much money, and yet you can use money to develop your own fighting styles? Yeah. Mm, a bit heavy-handed on that one, Yukiza. <laughs> it's a little bit, but yeah. I mean, it's not that Mr. Shakedown wants to develop his style, it's just that he's at that level of bodybuilding that he needs to pay a shit ton of money to get more equipment. It was more to do with the, them being kind of like them hinting at money and martial arts power kind of linked. And if you have one guy with a ton of money, but he gets his ass kicked, maybe you can balance it out at the other end of the equation. Hmm. I wonder if that's maybe maybe a bit of an idea for uh, the three and there's kind of like, hey, one guy's going to have a ton of money and not a lot of places to spend it. Because I was going to suggest, what if you just blasted all your money? What happens with Mr. Shakedown? Well, that- he only comes. He only comes after you if you have over something like a million yen. <laughs> only, if you're worth it, he'll come and shake you down. But right. he only comes after you if you have a, a lot of money. 
but it's, it's not really the game doesn't really focus on you know martial arts you don't do whereas Shenmue was all about learning different martial arts styles so that you could fight Landy and you know avenge your father or learning all these different fighting stances whereas Shenmue is literally sorry Yakuza is literally just you have this move where you box a little bit or, or you have the rush stance where you box a little bit you have the brawler stance where you just beat the shit out of anything that's in front of you then you've got the beast stance where you just get fucking angry and start beating people with anything that you can come to your hand it's kind of a departure from you know let's do you know cool button combos like Virtua Fighter to get cool martial arts move cool martial arts moves and a more of a shift to let's just you know have visceral brutal combat where mm. you know you stomp on someone's head after doing a cool three hit combo yeah but you you would recommend Yakuza if someone is willing to get a bit weird and has a spare 50 hours if you've got a spare 30 to 50 hours and you're willing to have lengthy conversations with a man called the walking erection by all means get into Yakuza <laughs> oh I'm so buying this game <laughs> I'm not even going to go find it for like cheaper free I'm just going to go buy the full price game <laughs> is on Game Pass. Uh, same with Yakuza Kiwami 1, which is a remake of Yakuza 1 on the PlayStation 2. Same with Yakuza Kiwami 2. Uh, Yakuza Remastered Collection as Yakuza 3, 4, and 5. That's coming soon. Same with uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, which is the latest release, which is more of a, a turn-based RPG style. It's not the, the brawler that the other six games are. But still, I've been told that it's very fun. Right. I'll put that on the to-do list then. <laughs> it's good to have something that's like gleefully weird on there I quite like that unashamedly weird unabashedly weird as opposed to just being shit which leads us cleanly into Cyberpunk 2077 still have not I, I told you that I installed my copy played half an hour of it and it looked like I was playing with clay models with uh, no faces this started because uh, I, I found a video that just I wanted to see what the deal was with Cyberpunk how like could it possibly be as bad as people were saying it was Yes, uh, yes, 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 yes. And uh, I, that all came from a YouTube video I found where someone just let the game play for like 40 minutes with a little bit of commentary and stuff about what was going on, uh, more about the, the promises made by developers and then the kind of reaction from the fans and then the reaction from the development studio about what was going on with uh, the series. And I, I feel like this is possibly the best warning we're ever going to get in the gaming industry about hype that has complete, so completely backfired that uh, a studio with an impeccable record sells you a product with the title screen, the the first or the the appearance of a, a character, a well known actor, and then just sells you the game based on that. Everyone lines up, throws money at the project, it goes ahead and complete shit show. I don't think we're ever going to get a clearer message against hype for a product than this. Yeah. I think Cyberpunk is going to go down infamously, and I think they're going to re-release the game in about two years' time once they've ironed out all the shit. Or maybe a year's time once they've ironed out all the shit. And just say, right, if you bought the game, you get a, if you haven't bought the game, you get a severe discount, but if you bought the game before and got a refund, you have the game for free. It's the only way CD Projekt Red are going to recover from this. It's... Uh... It's odd that brutal. I, I, I just a lot of people have pretty good footage from PC game sessions and um, I, I like some of what I see in Night City. There's some stuff that I understand why it works the way it does. Um, 
for example, they're talking about the, the bustling city streets and how they, they, they feel so real and active. Unfortunately, when you say that to someone on like Reddit or on the internet in general now, if you say we have this great system that makes it feel like the streets are real, someone then observes the streets to see what's happening. And then all it takes is someone standing off at a weird angle and you can see it's just like a whoop of pre-planned NPCs going backwards and forwards. And, and I get why they do that, because if you're not supposed to look at it from that angle, you're probably supposed to just walk through that sh that street, not even notice what anyone's doing, just feel like you're in a city. You're probably supposed to walk through that crowd at some point and then leave it in the back. Mm. But all it took was someone just stepping back, like, 20 paces, so they could show you the entire, like, circuit the NPCs walk. And it's, uh, it looks really weird. It looks very surreal. I quite like the footage in a in a very dark way. Um, it seems it's kind of like how I imagine North Korea to be, <laughs> which is probably not the best way to describe a, a like a top tier video game. But it's like when you hear Every that character just walking about with their guns out for no reason. Well, I mean, when you hear that North Korea has uh, like faked cities and stuff like that, and faked shop fronts for tourists that have come in or journalists that have come in to in inspect the city. Um, so yeah. that you can see what North Korea is all about. Like, it feels that way. Like, it feels like they put up this weird facade of a city and it just didn't get, like, polished out. Like, a lot of it, especially when it looks at, like, vehicle flight paths, you can tell that, like, just a part of the the building that it's flying through wasn't supposed to be there or was supposed to be something else to, to accommodate a vehicle. And then all of a sudden they just say, oh, we never really got to that in time. And, uh, oh, the number of times that that video shows, like, a, an asset that's missing... I don't know if you, if you watch the video, look out for little red boxes that say uh, asset in development. So it's like a thing they hadn't finished drawing or making. And like, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of little details. Uh, the main one I noticed was somebody went under like an AC unit and looked up and there's it's like the, the caps for the fan heads. Hmm. That was missing on all three units. <laughs> they just didn't, it's just missing files. That are always supposed to be in a day one patch, but were missed on day one patch, and then somehow the game still made it out. It's really, really odd. If you kind of juxtapose that to the the Xbox debacle with them them hiking the prices up for uh, Xbox Gold, they they went back on that quickly. Cyberpunk slowly brought these things in, and it's kind of interesting to see that Microsoft are one of the most critiqued. Uh, companies or gaming companies out there got it right where CD Projekt Red were just going no just keep playing the game it's fine it's fine we'll, we'll fix it yeah and it's like with, with the Microsoft thing what happens they said hey uh, a year like you're going to pay $60 US for a year's worth of Xbox Live and then they shortened it down to 6 months so you're basically paying $120 for the full year that's an insane amount of money <laughs> That's the I amount bet. of money that I look at when it comes to like a PC upgrade, like a good PC upgrade, like a, a terabyte hard drive that's like a, an NVMe SSD. I'm like, I could throw that into my PC and like make a much better system, like that makes my everyday life a lot better. Or I could pay for Xbox Live. Mm. <laughs> Pretty easy when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Microsoft. Uh, I mean, you'll probably get my money from somewhere else, eventually somewhere down the line, but I, I'm not I'm not willing to pay that much for the service. And uh, I, I think that... I kind of knew something like this was going to come because, you know, 
the consoles are selling for a price that I don't see how you make a profit on it. The games are being shifted onto Games Pass rather than being bought for 60 quid a pop. So most people go that route anyway. I don't see where Microsoft was going to make money unless they did something like this. But they were caught doing it, probably because they announced it publicly, and then everyone said, oh hell no, and flipped it on them, and now they've walked it back. It'll be back in a year's time, by the way, uh, just a heads yeah. up. But <laughs> a year, 18 months maybe, um, somewhere around there they'll say, yeah, we really do need to look at the pricing of Xbox Live uh, subscriptions. And they won't be back at the full price tag. I think they'll maybe throw an extra 20 quid on there. Maybe. But yeah, it's it's an odd... It's good. I don't think... Sorry. There you go. I really don't think that they're going to increase it. I genuinely think this has been such a learning experience for them where if they try and increase it to that degree, it's not going to work. And I think with the console, I think console is where we could see the price hike. Now, I, when it comes to a situation like this, I look at it in, in terms of, okay, the like, corporation looking at what happened. Like, we, we're putting out this price. You say, oh, hell no. We take back the price. They're then going to come back at maybe just a little bit less. And then less, and they'll just keep pushing that line as far as they can go. And maybe it might not be, that's why I say 20 quid extra for the year. Because it's not as much, but it is more. And it, it just, it takes baby steps to move something like this. Especially when you have an entrenched system that people have been paying for for, what, 10, 15 years now, maybe? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I can't remember when the Xbox Live service went live, but it's got to be around 10, 15 years. And I, I think that now you've got people so used to paying for such a low price. Because it is a good bargain. But at yeah. the same time, when you get people moving away from that to PC and losing all those customers, I feel like you're going to lose the market and you have to charge... It's, it's a good way of thinking it, of that you're charging the loyalists more for the actions of the people who deserted you. I don't see why that works. Yeah, that was a bit harsh. It's It doesn't seem fair to me that people have left Xbox for PlayStation, which is just kind of the same, but you get less quality, in my opinion, in terms of free games and shit like that. Uh, I mean, you can argue that maybe some of the games are better, but you get maybe one good game every couple of months. The rest of it is FIFA or Rocket League or Farming Simulator or Goat Farming Simulator, some combination of the above. It doesn't seem right that you say to the people, yeah, you sh- you're loyal, you stayed with us, you're going to have to pay more because these guys fucked off to Sony or these guys now play on PC. Yeah. It's, uh, good luck with it, Microsoft. You're going to have to find some way of making money. I I hope it's not microtransactions. I can, I'm kind of tired of hearing about games with clearly cut lines where, like, the DLC goes here, you know? Yeah. And uh, I feel like it's affecting too much game development. I mean, I wish... There was a better way of charging it. I don't know maybe if this starts the argument for a price hike for games in general, but we'll see. Well, games right now are already, what, £60 for new games? 40 I think if you've got a lower-end game, it starts at about 45 but most of your higher-end games, your Call of Duties and stuff, they'll be £60 a piece. Yeah. £60 with a ton of DLC season passes, map packs, as much as they can cram in there, because that's Activision Blizzard. But uh, yeah, I want to see what happens to those Microsoft uh, first-party titles, the stuff or the Microsoft Studio titles that come out in the next year or so. I'm hoping it's not as bad as it, I think it's going to get, 
But uh, yeah, it's, it's an odd time. I mean, all of this is just an argument for Steam, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, w- I was thinking about that myself. This is just an argument for, A, playing what you already have. Like, Let's be fair, like, just stick to what you already own. Or buying them cheap as hell off Steam, because Valve makes ridiculous amounts of money off Steam. Mm. And the good thing about that is Valve, I've now realised that because of how well Half-Life Alex sold, that there's still a market for Valve-made first per- uh, uh, first person, well, first person, but a uh, single-player titles. So hopefully there's something in there that's going to make them realise that people still want to play Left 4 Dead, people still want to play Half-Life, people still want to play uh, Portal. Give us more of that shit. Yeah, I, I, There was a term that was around when uh, Xbox 360 and PS3 were the big dogs in town. And that was the, the mid-shelf games. The stuff that wasn't great. It was mostly on the PS3. That's what the PS2 had going for it, was a fantastic mid-shelf of games, where you it wasn't the best like AAA development. It wasn't like the new Call of Duty, which is trying to be a cinematic experience with a, a fun multiplayer tacked on the side. It was more to do with just having a story and telling it with a game. And I think that that used to... People lamented that being gone on the Xbox One and the PS4. But I think it just moved over to Steam. And unfortunately, that means it gets buried underneath all the shite that's on Steam as well. But I think that's kind of where the, the idea's moved. Hmm. You're right about there being a lot of shit on, on uh, Steam. <laughs> I looked up uh, Hades on Steam because I think it'd be easier playing that game with a keyboard because pushing so many buttons so quickly that playing it on a Switch controller, well, I can do it, is quite sore on the hands. And the amount of Hades-like games that there are now, and the weird anime variants thereof that are on Steam, <laughs> is ridiculous. Just like, send me the Steam. one with the biggest tits, that's all I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which one's got the massive do's? Uh, <laughs> and Steam Greenlight System, well, it's a good thing for budding game designers. It's also a bad thing for consumers because we have to wade through. <laughs> the idea that you can take someone like, say, Jim Sterling, who is a games journalist and a like online media personality, and he has to rally his fan base to the cause of sorting out the shit from the good stuff on Steam says something. Yeah. Although I haven't checked in with Jim recently. I'm kind of worried that if I'm going to click on him, he's going to have gone right off the deep end. So, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see before I say Jim Sterling's an internet hero. <laughs> he was, I could never say. I could never say that. You know my thoughts on Jim Sterling. <laughs> it's he's too. Uh, have you noticed that wrestling's come back? Yeah, in a big way. I'm not sure how to feel about it because there are, there are people who make really good arguments for it. Again, Super Eye Patch will be the main one um, that will say if you look at it not as a sporting event but as storytelling, it's captivating and it's gorgeous, and you're like. Huh, fair point. I mean, even the fact that Mark Callan, the guy who played The Undertaker, is on Joe Rogan this week. I'm looking forward to that. I've not watched WWE since I was 10. But that's the thing is, like, when you look at the story of The Undertaker running for the, like, like it has for the last, like, 30 years almost, yeah. that's insane. And that's something I kind of want to know how it panned out in the end. You know? Like, imagine if Game of Thrones went on for 30 years and we're like, Oh, they just finished it. Oh, what happened? <laughs> I, I was so invested in that 20 years ago. <laughs> Wrestling popped up in my uh, zeitgeist recently. I found a, a series of videos called Rugby, The Road to WrestleMania. And it had uh, Triple H 
talking about how the core values of rugby are basically the same as the core values of wrestling and the jump from rugby to wrestling isn't as severe as you'd think it would be. And there's a quite a lot of people who played rugby are now playing are now playing. I know. Playing <laughs> They're wrestling. now playing wrestling, Dom. I know exactly what you meant. You said the right thing. You didn't know you said it though. <laughs> yeah, I know, I, no, I know that I said it. It may come back to haunt me, but they're now you know wrestlers. Hmm. Now wrestling entertainers. Like, is that really a natural thing? But you think of it, it's kind of the same thing. Obviously, there's more of a degree of skill in rugby, but rugby rugby players and wrestlers are kind of the same people. Yeah, it is the big burly macho men um I, I just i don't think it's like a different i think it's the same like there's a skill level comparison i think it's the skill levels are high because the 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 resulting injuries are going to be horrific so everyone has to be on top of their game the training physically and mentally is top tier really and then when it comes down to like it's just a different skill set it's being applied to yeah we're gonna become a wrestling podcast aren't we Dom? No, fuck no. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't. Wanna, I don't want to talk I, about oily men throwing each other around the ring. <laughs> I just don't want to. I'm do not it. gonna. I'm not gonna say you know you you watch wrestling. You're you're an idiot because a lot of people that I am still friends with to this day still watch wrestling, and I don't decry them their hobby. But I stopped watching wrestling when I was about ten or twelve, probably a bit older than that. But mm. it was a while ago. I don't want to talk about wrestling. Like wrestling. <laughs> do, you, do you think we should do that? That should be like a special, like hundredth episode. We get completely drunk and just live commentate over wrestling, and just see what. Fun, but I don't drink anymore. <laughs> you do now, <laughs> Dom. We're watching wrestling. You drink now, okay? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> it's, it's, even then, you're like, ah, like, it, are you worried about the actual <laughs> the event itself, or the Shameful combination of waking up hungover and realizing you just screamed about wrestling for three hours. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the cracking open the, the alcohol seal again because I've not been drinking for a while and I think I'm a bit better for it. Uh, watching wrestling and then the the earth shattering, sobering hangover of the following day that realized I just shouted about wrestling for two and a half to three hours while drinking whiskey like it was my last meal. <laughs> <laughs> I like <laughs> I just like the idea so much you wake up going oh my god what did I do last night did I kill someone did, did I sleep with some skank oh god I watched wrestling <laughs> <laughs> oh god I paid for Wrestlemania <laughs> oh god it was pay per view oh my god <laughs> oh, I yes. bought a season pass <laughs> uh, right away from the subject of wrestling shall we <laughs> yeah let's, let's do that all right then, showstopper it is. <laughs> uh, right, so um, I'm just going to start off by sending you this uh, article that was sent to me. And uh, this came from my friend uh, Jenna in the United States. She's one of the people I was talking to when the election nonsense went down. And uh, she is of Scottish descent and often asks me like weird folklore questions as if I know what I'm talking about. So okay. I faked my best answers. And uh, she asked me, she sent me a map of the UK and various uh, local legends, including the oh, where the fuck is it? Stuff like the the Beast of Bodmin Muir, which is a classic. Um, I think it was actually one of the inspirations for an uh, a Conan uh, detective. What was it? No, Sherlock Holmes. That's what it is. 
Uh, Doyle. Yeah, one of the original uh, Arthur Conan Doyle uh, novels about Sherlock Holmes. Uh, there was also stuff like uh, the Dullahan, uh, the classic Irish folk myth of a headless horse woman person, uh, or horseman. Uh, you've got stuff like the Leprechaun on there. You've got the, the Kelpie, uh, the Silky, and the Selkie, uh, for those of you interested in Scottish mythology. But then somewhere in the middle of the map comes the Tizzy Wizzy. And she says, I'm reading the article that you sent me, and it does not make sense. <laughs> it barely does. But you can make sense of it after many, many drinks and like three attempts to read it with a little bit of background reading. The Tizzy Wizzy is the folklore uh, equivalent of the Loch Ness Monster for the Lake District in England. The Lake District, for those of you who don't know, is a tourist destination with fuck all going on because the land is sodden and can't grow shit. So it just exists to exist as a tourist destination. So, uh, at some point, someone just decided to make up a monster. But being from the quaintest part of England possible, could only come up with a legend of a a fairy-like creature with a hedgehog's body, a bee's antenna, dragonfly wings, and a squirrel's tail. Not monstrously oversized, just regular-sized weird animal components glued together. The story, weird enough for us, uh, is made up, apparently, by a boatman from Boness. Only thing is, not Boris the town that raised the pair of us, it's from another part of the Lake District uh, called Boness, B-O-W-N-E-S-S, on Windermere. A town so boring, its Wikipedia page can be scrolled through in one swing. I've never had that before. I'm pretty sure there's houses that are older or younger than us with longer Wikipedia pages. But yeah, uh, if you take a look at the Tizzy Wizzy other than it's ridiculous... The history boy. section of its Wikipedia page is four lines. <laughs> it's Four lines of text. And it, the entirety of that uh, like history, it can be summed up as at one point people fished here, now they just kind of live here and look out at the lake. Seasonal tourist occupation is double the normal capacity. You're like... What? That that's not history. That's the, <laughs> you're barely a road stop. You're lucky if you have a KFC. Um, but the the actual legacy was really funny because apparently it was just a guy was sitting in a pub and noticed there was a bunch of really drunk people from London who didn't know what the countryside was and was like, "I'll make up a fantastic beast and say that I'm the only one who can help them find it." So he made up the Tizzy Wizzy, the shitty little animal. It's like. It doesn't have any folklore, it doesn't have any uh, historical sightings, it doesn't have anything going on about it. It's just a weird animal where he was like, I bet you I can convince a bunch of drunk Londoners that this is a real creature that exists out here in the wilds of the Midlands. And you're like, this is insane. Like, if you look at the rest of the map, it's all monsters. It's, it's the Loch Ness Monster. It's uh, the, the Grey Man from, like, up, up the bends, you know? It's all these monstrous figures that represent something deep and twisted about the British psyche and unexplained events, these monsters fill in the gaps to explain things we don't understand ourselves. And then there's the Tizzy Wizzy. So <laughs> Does that make him a genius? Or an idiot? I don't know. I think that's maybe... A combination the... of the two. <laughs> maybe that's the discussion we need to be having these days. I mean, there's nothing serious to discuss anymore. Trump's out of office. So let's really yeah. get into the legacy of the Tizzy Wizzy. 
So I'll, I'll be sure to post this as well. I'll post the article on our Twitter as well when the episode comes out. And uh, you guys can enjoy this little blog about uh, the legend of the Lake District that is the Tizzy Wizzy. I mean, it's not an idiot if it worked. This guy <laughs> clearly fooled a bunch of people. <laughs> if you got paid, game recognized game, i got to say. <laughs> if you got some money out of this, then damn. <laughs> Maybe we're the idiots for not believing in the power of the Tizzy Wizzy. No, the real idiots in this story are the dumbass Londoners that believed them. You're <laughs> <laughs> not allowed to be that stupid. <laughs> like, it just, it just the fact that every animal, he could probably have seen a picture of it in the pub at some point. Like, he probably was like, it's got the body of a hedgehog and a squirrel tail. <laughs> and he just makes you up on the go. And be, the Londoners like, that sounds fascinating. You must take him on your boot tomorrow. <laughs> I, I like I like the image. I'm just looking about the pub, a bit drunk, going, "Oh, it's the body uh, headshot, <laughs> I uh, wings, I wings." You wouldn't believe it as well. There's like wee sticks on the front of its face. Oh, Leaf. antenna, like like a like, <laughs> like an ant. No, like a wasp. <laughs> <laughs> They're called antenna, sir. No, no, no. We fucked up eyebrows. <laughs> uh it's uh it's uh, i just I, I, every now and again something comes across and you're like what did you just hand me the fuck is this <laughs> and again this is something i don't know so I, I i'd never even heard of this before and when she sent it to me i was looking at the text from going what is with this what the tizzy wizzy and i'm like great question what is with the tizzy wizzy <laughs> immediately dropped everything i was doing and went to look at this ridiculous animal. So, yeah. Well, a ridiculous legacy uh, monster, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Uh, an ostentatious, not hideous-looking statue in the central belt. Because, <laughs> I mean, Kelpie's got one. Why not the Tizzy Wizzy? <laughs> I want it 40 foot tall. <laughs> Made entirely of mirrors. <laughs> uh, I love it. Right, I, I think that's our show for today. Uh, if you want to get if you see the tizzy wizzy the what we're going to end on the legacy of the tizzy wizzy (laughs) just so stupid (laughs) it it felt appropriate for the end of the Trump era so all I'm going to say if you want to reach out to us uh, you can do so on Twitter at gibberfish which is the easiest way to find us or you can email us at gibberfishpodcast at gmail.com and other than that you can reach me at Aaron Lord Mad. You can reach Dom at Dom Anderson twenty five. Good guesses I'm going to make. <laughs> uh, and since uh, what was it? Sorry. Yeah, Dom underscore Anderson twenty five on Twitter. That's where you can find me. But until next time, I've been Colin Graham. I've been Dom Anderson, and we've been talking gibberfish. <laughs>